Hey, it's Martine. A quick message before we start today's show. You may have noticed I am handing over the hosting reins for a few weeks while I'm off on a reporting trip, working on a story that I'm so excited to share with y'all. Until I'm back at the end of this month, you'll be hearing from my official new co-host, Alahe Azadi, as well as a whole crew of other guest hosts from around the newsroom, bringing you the most interesting and insightful stories of the day. Today, we've got on tap our wonderful colleague, columnist Jerry Brewer. You will be in great hands. Enjoy the show. In two weeks, voters in Pennsylvania will head to the polls in perhaps the most closely watched Senate race in the country. The seat in Pennsylvania is currently held by a Republican. But Democrats have looked at it as the maybe one chance that they have to flip a seat um, in this very, very contentious, fraught midterm election where they're expected to be losing seats um, in other places. Colby Ikowitz covers campaigns and Pennsylvania politics for The Post. So they've invested a lot in Pennsylvania. It could be the thing that allows them to hold on to their very narrow majority in the Senate. For years, the Senate seat has been held by Republican Pat Toomey, who's retiring. Now, Democratic Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman hopes to replace him. His opponent is the celebrity TV personality, Dr. Oz. For months, the candidates have launched personal attacks against each other in ads and on social media. But on Tuesday, they'll meet in person for their first and only debate before the November election. When I talk to Fetterman voters, they want to tell me how much they love Fetterman. When I talk to Oz voters, what I hear mostly is it's a vote against Fetterman. So, like... Take Oz and put any Republican in that spot, and that's who they were going to vote for. And so they just really, really want to keep that seat in Republican hands, get the majority in the Senate for the Republicans. And so Oz is just a vehicle in which to do that. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. It's Monday, October 24th. I'm Jerry Brewer, a sports columnist for The Post. And I'll be your guest host for the next few days. Today, my colleague Alahe Izadi talks with Colby about why the stakes are so high in Pennsylvania and how the outcome of that Senate race will impact some of the most contentious political battles in the country. Before we get into the politics and the campaigning, I do want to ask about the biggest policy issues at stake. Just kind of briefly, um, what would you say the biggest policy issues are right now? What are they campaigning on? What's at stake here? So Dr. Oz has focused heavily on crime. Crime is really bad in Philadelphia right now. And um, John Fetterman has kind of a, a progressive view on things like criminal justice reform, supports parole for people that have been in prison a long time. And so he's really just hammered home that Fetterman is soft on crime, soft on crime. That's over and over. That is um, Oz's message, and it seems to be resonating uh, in some ways because we have seen the polls tighten quite a bit since he started making that kind of the center argument against Fetterman. You know, Fetterman has spent a lot of this campaign attacking Oz, uh, to be honest, and now he's a little bit on defense. But when he is on offense, he will say all the things that you're hearing Democrats say all around the country, that, you know, abortion rights are at stake, 
um, that he wants to be the 51st vote to eliminate the filibuster. Um, he talks about raising the minimum wage. And so kind of the, the the number of things that Democrats are talking about all over the country, Fetterman is talking about as well. So if you had told me a year or two ago that of these two candidates, all of the attention wouldn't be on Oz, I would have been really <laughs> surprised. Sure. You know, people know him as this doctor who became super famous on TV as a TV doctor. Oprah helped make him famous. Then he was a reliable commentator on Fox News. And now he's running for office in Pennsylvania, of all places. But as we know now, there's been a lot of attention on John Fetterman, and that's in part because of a stroke he had this spring. So, Colby, can you remind us what happened and what do we know about Fetterman's health status right now? Days before the primary in May, uh, John Fetterman had a very serious stroke that sidelined him from the campaign uh, for most of the summer. Hello, everyone. His wife ends up having to kind of accept the Thank Democratic so nomination on election night. What a night. What a few days. Because he's in surgery um, getting a defibrillator. So before I get started, I would like to take a moment to address the elephant in the room, which is that my husband, John Fetterman, is not in the room tonight. <laughs> As I'm sure most of you know, John had a little hiccup on Friday while we were on the road campaigning. So what was revealed some 17 days after he had this surgery um, to get a defibrillator um, installed is that he actually had a pretty serious heart condition, one that was diagnosed five years ago, um, but he didn't follow up with his doctors and he didn't take the appropriate medications that he needed. And so it could have been fatal. It was a very, very serious, serious stroke. Um, and so what happened is he spent most of the summer recovering. Um, he wasn't doing interviews. He wasn't doing campaign events. He was physically fine. Both sides of his body are operating the right way. He was able to regain his strength fairly quickly. He was walking four to five miles every day. But what came slower was the speech. Every now and then I'll miss a word every now and then. Uh, or sometimes I'll maybe mush two words together. Some of his speaking seems a little halting. Uh, sometimes he'll mess up a word here or there. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I, was, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. Yeah. But what wasn't revealed until uh, much later is that he has something called auditory processing disorder. And what that means is when people speak to him, especially if there's background noise, if there's any other distractions, his brain is having trouble processing what is said. So he can hear it, but that obviously becomes a pretty big deal in a political campaign when you're out meeting people and you're trying to get people to vote for you. And then, of course, in debating your opponent. So, Colby, can you actually describe to us what his campaign was like or his demeanor at rallies and at events prior to his stroke and after his stroke? So when Fetterman was running in the primary before his stroke, he made it his goal to visit every one of the 67 counties in Pennsylvania, uh, regardless of how those counties typically voted. And so we're talking about going into like deep red rural areas um, that may be voted for President Trump by 70 some percent. 
And that's not typically how you see Democrats campaign statewide in Pennsylvania. The votes that you need in Pennsylvania to, to win Pennsylvania are in Pittsburgh and Philly and the surrounding suburbs. That's kind of the vote-rich areas um, versus kind of the voters in the middle of the state are more spread out. But Fetterman really had like a leave-no-voter-behind type strategy. During the primary, he could do four or five events a day, hopping from one county to the next. And at the events um, that I attended, he would kind of give a a longish speech that was filled with kind of laugh lines and and then he would stay after and shake hands and take selfies and banter with anyone that wanted a second with him. This is amazing. Thank you so much. It's so amazing to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Since the stroke, he has uh, edged back in um, on a, on a, at a slower pace. And so now when you see him, um, he has kind of a 15 to 20 minute uh, prepared speech that he gives. We have always run the same campaign. There was never a primary and a general. It was always one campaign. And it's right there. Every county, every vote. And then he does come into the crowd and uh, shake hands kind of along a rope line, giving hugs, posing for selfies. And, And this auditory processing issue that you mention. What has the Fetterman campaign said about his condition? And is there any sense that his symptoms could get worse? So we've done some reporting on this, and every doctor that we've talked to has said it is unlikely that his symptoms would get worse. In the more more likely scenario, they will get better. There's a chance that they don't. But more likely, if he continues doing the right things, working with a speech therapist, taking his medications— he'll continue to improve. But for right now, he needs to use closed captioning. So just like if you have the closed captioning on on your television while you're watching TV or a movie, it's the same kind of idea. He will sit there with, you know, a screen in front of him and whatever someone is saying to him will show up in captioning along the screen for him to read. If he is elected to the Senate, you can imagine that he will need closed captioning during Senate committee hearings or on the floor. Um, It's the same type of closed captioning that he'll be using tomorrow night in the debate against Dr. Oz. Um, It became a a, a bigger issue after an NBC interview that he did where it was his first in-person interview, but he was sitting behind a screen. This is clearly not the typical candidate interview. You had a stroke just days before the primary here. This is the first time you've sat down with a journalist in person. That was the opportunity for people to kind of see how this works. Um, The reporter, after the segment, made kind of a passing comment about how she wasn't certain that he could understand or hear her during the kind of their small talk before the interview, before they had turned on the closed captioning. Because of his stroke, Fetterman's campaign required closed captioning technology for this interview to essentially read our questions as we ask them. And Lester, in small talk before the interview, without captioning, it wasn't clear he was understanding our conversation. And there was a lot of backlash to that. To to people in the disability community, it felt like she was kind of questioning his ability, that she was almost making an assessment about his capabilities that his supporters and people in the disability community found kind of offensive and also inaccurate. It's also worth noting that he 
isn't the first politician to have suffered a stroke. There have been other lawmakers even serving in the Senate and and people working up on the Hill who have needed accommodations. And I have yet to find a voter who has told me that they're going to vote based on Fetterman's health condition or Mm -hmm. that his health condition worried them about his ability to do the job. It just really isn't an issue that's driving voters um, the way that actual policies and issues affecting people personally. Who was Fetterman before his Senate candidacy? What was his background and how did he even get involved in politics to begin with? To to a lot of people who are fans of Fetterman, like they are fans of Fetterman. (laughs) Like they wear the merchandise. They like are proud to put the yard sign in their yard. They are true, true fans of his he is this hulk of a man. He's six foot eight. You know, he has these tattoos. He's bald and has a goatee and wears sweatshirts and cargo pants. And so his physical appearance allows him to present as, you know, this working class hero. He's almost become a bit of a, a cult figure in, in some factions of Democratic politics. So Fetterman um, showed up in this small town called Braddock. It's um, outside of Pittsburgh. It's one of the poorest communities in the state. It's a majority black town. And he decided to kind of put down roots in this town and try to make it a better place. Um, So Fetterman sets up this nonprofit called Braddock Redux. um, And he's using the nonprofit mostly to build um, a community center for like at-risk youth funded with the help of his parents. Um, One thing that some people don't know and what Republicans and Dr. Oz have tried to make a point out of is that Fetterman was raised um, privileged. He was raised on the other side of the state in York County. His dad is in insurance, and they were well off. He got um, one of his degrees at Harvard. So this is not like a guy who grew up in these depressed industrial towns and came from a blue-collar, working-class background, although he really—that is the persona that he has created. He attracted a lot of national media attention pretty early in his Uh, political career. Because what he did is he said, you know what, I'm going to run for mayor of this town. And so he runs for mayor and he wins by one vote. Wow. (laughs) And figures out pretty quickly that he's not going to be able to exact change and that his role as mayor is really just to supervise and oversee the police department, that he has no real governing power. So he continues to use this nonprofit as a way to kind of make his vision, bring his vision to life. In 2018, he ran and won uh, the position of lieutenant governor. I visited Braddock recently, and when you talk to people in the town, you find people who love him and adore him and think that he's really just tried his best to make a difference. And you'll also find people that think that he came in the town and he just did things the way he wanted them done. And so there's some residents that kind of chafe at that because they say, You know, he comes in here, he's not originally from here, and now he's the thing that's associated with our town. This, 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 you know, kind of this big hulking white man represents Braddock, which is, again, a majority uh, black town. In Braddock, Fetterman went out on his own to try and fix things. He butted heads with people who disagreed with him. And so there's this sense that, you know, is that how he will govern as a senator? But I'm not sure how much they can dictate the type of senator he'll be. It's a very, very different job. 
After the break, what both candidates are up to in the final days of the campaign season and what to expect in Tuesday's debate. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. So Fetterman has this stroke, and he has to rein in what his campaign looks like. And I'm imagining a lot of that now, or for several months, it took place online and in social media. And it felt like the Senate race turned into kind of a national spectacle because of the social media campaigns that both of these candidates were waging. Can, can you talk about that and what, what was so captivating and what was so inflammatory or caught people's attention? So Oz has been in the public eye for a long time. So there's plenty of material that the Federal campaign had to work with. Um, when they were devising kind of a social media strategy. They flew a welcome home banner a- across the Jersey Shore. So the idea is that he's, he, he is from New Jersey, and New Jersey is his home. Some really troll—it's like trolling. It's trolling. It is trolling. And what about Oz? Is he taking a similar sort of trolling on social media approach to attacking Fetterman? Yeah, Oz has tried to hit back on social media for sure. He's been a no-show on debates and, and sharing his health records. So what did he show up for? Parole meetings to let murderers out on our streets. Pennsylvanians deserve better. It, it, it's not landing as well as what the Fetterman campaign has done. Oz has tried to make transparency an issue in this campaign, saying that, which is true, uh, Fetterman hasn't, you know, made his doctors available for interviews. He hasn't released his medical records publicly while Dr. Oz, who's like the picture of health and fitness, like was happy to release his medical records. Um, And, you know, after a little bit of pressure last week, uh, Fetterman did release a doctor's note uh, from his primary care physician uh, saying that he was doing well and that he was fit to serve and there's like nothing that would stop him from doing the job in the Senate. And so what's really happened there is that has backfired. Um, it's not been a successful line of attack. And so his health is, has been a, been a big issue. Uh, and then crime. Now that John Fetterman claims to be recovering, let's pull back his hoodie and examine what's in his head. <coughs> Fetterman wants to release one third of all prisoners. That's crazy. And and the the reason why that's landing so so much is because there is a a real um, it's not just perceived there's a real problem with violence in Philadelphia right now and so people are feeling uneasy and Oz has really been able to um, kind of capitalize on that in these final weeks. Colby, I am interested to just know about the polling on this race and where these candidates stand because, as you're saying, Fetterman he. It seems like on Twitter and social media is very popular, but maybe some of that popularity, I don't know, is people beyond Pennsylvania. And then in that same vein, Oz is getting some attention on Fox News and he was 
back by Trump in the primary. But we know that polls have had a hard time predicting turnout for Trump right, voters right. in the past, too. So what's your read on where things stand this week? And how do you think these dynamics factor into polling? Fetterman has still has a, a small lead in most polls. But you have to understand, Pennsylvania is like the swingiest of the swing states. It is... <laughs> It's inconsistent every every time. And you've been covering Pennsylvania for quite a while. So I've been you covering know. Pennsylvania for almost two decades. And um, you're never quite sure which, which way Pennsylvania is going to go. It tends to be a little bit bluer than it is red, as opposed to somewhere like Ohio, which tends to be a little bit redder than it is blue. But it's all about who turns out. And you win in a place like Pennsylvania on the margins. The base is your base. Your base voters are baked in. You just have to hope they come out to the polls and vote on Election Day. And then you try for that, like, sliver of voters that live in places like the Philadelphia suburbs who tend to be more independent-minded and tend to vote based on kind of how they feel about the economy or, or the direction that the country is going. And because right now people aren't feeling so great about the economy, um, gas prices are going back up, inflation, people's uh, 401ks are taking a hit. There is a belief that some of those voters that kind of are going to decide at the end might end up falling into Oz's camp. I think what's what's concerning for the Fetterman campaign is that you need you need young people and you need people of color in Philadelphia and around Philadelphia to come out in large numbers. Um, that that's going to help put you over the edge in Pennsylvania. Um, young people are not that engaged. They feel a little disenchanted by politics. What's different, though, is Fetterman. Fetterman has, unlike other Democratic candidates around the country, he has created this following on social media. Um, His wife has a really active and fun social media account. Even though he's not as accessible in person anymore because of his auditory processing, he's incredibly accessible on social media to people. And he's engaging. And so I would not be surprised to find out that young people come out to vote for him maybe in higher numbers than you're going to see for Democrats elsewhere in the country. So, Colby, tomorrow Fetterman and Oz are facing off in the one debate they'll have before Election Day, before the midterms. What will you be looking for as this debate unfolds? So I would argue this is the biggest debate of the entire midterms. Uh, It's going to be watched by many, many people. And Fetterman is going to be, he was never the most like polished orator to begin with. And so, and you have someone like Dr. Oz who has been on television in front of a camera his entire career. He is completely comfortable in that setting. There is an expectation that Oz will do very well. He will look comfortable and relaxed and confident. Whereas Fetterman, you know, there'll be a little bit of awkwardness when he has to stop and read the captioning. So there'll be delays between, like, the question and the answer. Um, He does sometimes, you know, mix up a word or two or mash a word together. And so, and on nerves, when you're stressed or nervous, it exacerbates that, those symptoms. And so there is a real sense that, that there could be a takeaway that Oz looks like the stronger candidate coming out of the debate. It's been a race mostly focused on characters. There's these two characters that are running, and they each have very specific things about them that stands out from anyone else that's running in races across the country. And so what sometimes gets forgotten is 
the fact that people are worried about the economy, the fact that people are worried about abortion protections, um, you know, they end up being kind of throwaway lines in a stump speech. And so, and so we're not having really substantial policy debates. And I, I imagine you're going to see a lot of the same in the debate tomorrow. What do you think that says about this midterm cycle? The stakes could not be higher than they are in Pennsylvania. The Democrats hold the Senate right now with 50 votes, with Kamala Harris as their tiebreaker. The Republicans need to pick up one, just one seat, in order to take the majority away from the Democrats. There are several places around the country that they believe they'll be able to do that. And so, Democrats need to flip a seat. And the only place that it's viable that they're going to flip a seat is Pennsylvania. Some might argue there's a few others, but Pennsylvania is their best chance to flip a seat. And so what's at stake here are things like Supreme Court justices um, getting approved or judges in general getting nominated by President Biden. What happens in Pennsylvania has very serious kind of ripple effects and repercussions for the country as a whole. And I think that maybe sometimes that gets lost in this conversation about who's trolling who more on Twitter. Colby Ikowitz covers Congress, campaigns, and Pennsylvania politics for The Post. Amanda Morris contributed reporting. She covers disability issues for The Post. Eliza Dennis produced this story. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter and edited by Lucy Perkins. I'm Jerry Brewer, in for Martine Powers and Alahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.